This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. We're your hosts, Mike Agarbo with John Beeler. We've got a great program. We're all about uh, the world of apps, not only on mobile phones, but cars, TVs, and also mobile technology. And we talk about it in a fun, fun way. Uh, today, we're going to be chatting about Apple. They have a new feature for iPhones coming that uh, will give you extreme protection to your device so no one can spy on you. We'll also be uh, chatting with uh, Gray, one of our uh, Get Connected and uh, App Show contributors, about his experience with Starlink. More and more people are, are using this service. It's the satellite internet service. You can get uh, a really portable antenna and literally get internet anywhere. You can be out in the deep woods. And as long as uh, the antenna can, can uh, basically see the sky and uh, pointing in the right direction, you can get some high-speed internet connections, which for a lot of people uh, is something they might not even had before. And now they've got a version that uh, can actually be put on moving vehicles and uh, we'll get the lowdown on that um john let's talk about some of the the mobile news uh this this week uh there's a new apple watch coming and the rumors are that it can even potentially detect fevers it's going to detect everything well it's amazing like i just love you know feature upon feature with these wearables that they've introduced remember at first it was just you know counting steps and then you know they could accurately uh you know check out your heart rate now they've got ecgs built in some of them can monitor your uh, blood pressure i don't know how accurate that is um but yeah that is the rumor that uh, the new watch would be able to detect uh things like fevers which kind of would give uh wearers another tool in their arsenal to monitor their uh, their health um I, I really love the sleep tracking features that apple's really kind of getting behind now as well with these yeah i, I think it's really proven to be a u- ubiquitous health device i'm reluctant to call it a medical device because there's probably some strings attached to that term but um but yeah i mean that's why i continue to upgrade my apple watch all the time is to get those additional benefits all the time i would love to see them eventually being able to help uh diabetics being able to to monitor that i don't know how plausible that is i know there are devices that you can kind of attach to your arm that monitor your glucose levels yeah um the libra yeah freestyle series they look like a little coin yeah attached i'm just wondering you know can they eventually build that type of tech into an apple watch i can't see why not yeah why couldn't they just attach that coin part to the bottom of your your watch because i know that it has to make it has to get in your skin yeah Right, it's like a permanent little yeah pokey thing. I don't know how well that would work on a watch. Who knows? Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to see. Um, this is an interesting story, John. The next big social platform is your smartphone's home screen. What does that mean? Yeah, well, there's a lot of different companies that are trying to compete for your home screen. Yeah, everything from putting ads on your lock screen. Can you imagine? Having- Although, yeah. Get a Big Mac ad. <laughs> Big Macs, half off today. But Yeah, I mean, th- just the whole idea of, of having your smartphone when you're not using it being an ad platform is probably horrifying for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but people are really liking the ability to customize their lock screens and home screens. Android users have been able to do that for a while, and it's coming to iPhone now. Yeah, definitely with iOS 16, it's... it's uh, a lot better it's still not nearly as far as uh, androids enjoyed for a while yeah but 
the thing is, a lot of developers look to Apple as being sort of the the driver of that kind of change and the ability to give people more options, and they can also then sell them apps. Yeah, for that purpose. So they're trying to get onto the lock screen, which is like kind of a really low barrier to entry for users, right? Because it's just there, right? And you don't with, have to go in and launch the app or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's the big thing that Apple was touting at uh, WWDC was the ability with the lock screen to show where your Uber is, where your DoorDash food is, uh, how your stocks are doing, how your favorite team is doing without having to launch anything and it's in real time and updated, you know, kind of almost like always on display, even if your device doesn't feature that. Let's move on to another news story here. Tiggy temporarily closes grocery delivery services in Toronto and Vancouver. And I wish I had known about this app, John. I didn't even know it existed until I read about it being closed down. So this is a food delivery, like grocery delivery business that was apparently operating in Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah, no, we've, we've seen it here. We, I've never seen it. We've talked about it. Have we? Yeah. Twiggy. Tiggy. Tiggy. Yes, they have these giant... Was I drunk? I don't remember this. Giant pink bags, backpack things. Okay. And they ride around their bikes. And their claim to fame is you can order like a stick of gum, a chocolate bar, a Coke, whatever you want, and they'll get it to you in under 15 minutes. Apparently that's not... It's not the best business fin- Financially viable. No, no, it's not surprising. And this is something we've talked about in the in before with similar services in other countries where they got a lot of backlash from city and and um uh even even neighbors of these facilities because keep in mind these facilities typically aren't running a warehouse no they'll take uh, some retail space like a storefront an empty storefront yeah with a few thousand square feet and jam it full of turn it into a warehouse into a warehouse like or someone's garage yes in like a busy kind of retail or commercial area that isn't typically zoned for that yeah yeah so there's the backlash with that but then there's also the the neighborhood situation where the people that live right beside that establishment. Oh yeah. Can you imagine just the traffic coming in out of there with all the delivery? Exactly. Bikes. And so again, this just was servicing certain areas of Vancouver. I think like downtown and um, East Vancouver and and some areas of um, Point Grey area from what I understand. But uh, again, John, I didn't even really fully understand what it was or even kind of know about it. Apparently you said it. Talk to me about it, but I don't even remember that. I think we might have talked about it on but, the But, you know, to your point there, like, we've seen a bunch of these come and go. I remember back years ago, there was, like, I think it was Quick.com or something. And uh, we used it, and it was actually awesome. But they couldn't make a go of it either. I mean, I just don't know how much margin there is. And, you know, the, like, you really got to know groceries, right? Well, the big problem is, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, is the fact that most of these delivery services are burning through venture capital money. Yeah, like Tiggy apparently raised like $11 million. Yeah. Well, gone. Gone. Yeah. Because they had to buy a lot of the pink backpacks. Well, yeah. And they're probably not making money on delivering uh, packs of gum. Well, th- that's that was my problem with the service. How much are you willing to pay for that convenience, right? Yeah. I it can, only makes sense to me if like you're buying groceries. You know what I mean? Like yeah. 20 30 $100 worth of groceries. And I get it if you need something now. Like, yeah. you know, we work in an agency here and sometimes we need stuff for a shoot or that yeah. type of thing. And that makes sense if they offer what we're looking for. Yes. Um, but, and, you know, we might even be willing to pay a premium for that. But the average person, you know, I still see it though. I still see people getting Starbucks delivered to their house via Uber Eats. Yeah, it's insane. It must cost them like $20 for a $5 coffee. I know, it's stupid. Yeah. 
Sorry, I just don't, I think that's a complete waste of money and resources. Okay, we are going to have to take a break. When we come back, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Apple's got some new features coming that will offer extreme protection to your device so no one can spy on you. And uh, we'll also be chatting about the new Starlink features, the uh, satellite internet service now can be put on moving vehicles like RVs, ships, airplanes. Uh, We'll get uh, one of our contributors to tell us all about it. You're listening to The App Show. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We've got Gray with us in studio, and we're going to talk Starlink. This is uh, Elon Musk's satellite internet company, providing high-speed internet to users uh, remotely or just about anywhere in the world. Uh, Why should we care? Well, it's great for people that just never had high-speed internet. They couldn't get wired service to their location. Rogers, Tell, Bellis, Shaw, just not going to deliver that service because probably cost a fortune to get to certain areas. So this has been a game changer for a lot of folks. And uh, Gray, you were up in Peachland in British Columbia in the past weekend and had a chance to test it out. I did. You know, it's a, uh, one of my friends has a beautiful property on the lake there. And um, his grandfather actually started leasing it back in 1938. And I believe that was the first time somebody told him he'd be able to get high-speed internet. And it's been that long since. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I joke, but my parents actually live out in St. George, Ontario, and they moved there in 2006. And every major player that they've spoken to says, don't worry, high speed is only two years away. So Starlink is something that really caught my eye. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was a little skeptical. Um, I mean, I also have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. I'm an astronomer going through an astronomy degree. and So you uh, don't like the satellites blocking your view of the stars. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. I, it's... In Vancouver, we're all about view cones, and really on Earth here, our view cones are now being blocked by these satellites, but these satellites are also bringing me high-speed internet. Yeah. Uh, I'm torn. You're torn. But uh, the actual experience with Starlink was fantastic. Um, you know, uh, just talking to my friends, they've basically gone from having a very difficult-to-use internet experience to being able to use smart home devices, um, wireless cameras, streaming to their home uh, here in the Lower Mainland. So it's a, it's a really cool uh, piece of technology, and wasn't that expensive. Um, basically, you can. They said within a week they were able to put a deposit down, get the thing shipped out to them, and get activated on the network. Pretty impressive. Within a week. Within a week. Okay, but so you used it. How how was the speed? It was just like using high speed internet back home. Latency did, was good. Download did, speeds were good. Did you do any streaming? I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. We uh, we watched the uh, second to last episode of Stranger Things. Okay. Which I will not. On Netflix. On Netflix. And. It was great. And now, was there any buffering or anything? No buffering. We were just watching in regular high definition because the TV there was a tube TV. Yeah, but a tube TV. Yeah, it's kind of like old fashioned. Um, I find it fascinating. Like, but I mean, how many users can that thing handle? I mean, I mean, there were I think probably thirty of us uh, between people that were camping out on the. Oh, property. there was thirty yeah. people using it. Yeah. Absolutely no problems whatsoever. So here's the other crazy thing, though. Um, we were there a day, and a, another friend of ours uh, showed up with a massive new Jeep thing. It's sort of like a Jeep pickup truck. Yeah. And in the back of that, he had his Starlink RV, which is the mobile version of Starlink. Is it different than the other version? So does does it look different? It, it looks almost identical, but it's provisioned differently. And so when you have the mobile version... Um, if you are pulling into an area that already is saturated with Starlink users, you will be lower on the priority list and you'll get slower speeds. Um, You know, we're actually going to be taking it to Burning Man this year. We're getting there early so that we can actually get that priority so we can get our our communications out to friends and family when we need to. Yeah. I'm still fascinated by having 30 people using this at the same time. 
Like it can handle that much. Now, here's the thing. We weren't all streaming, you know, Netflix. No, of course time, not. But, but this was handling, you know, uh, wireless phone calls and text messaging and sending pictures back and forth. The network handled it just fine. Probably no different than being in a restaurant or something like that where people are using the Wi-Fi. Yeah, but they're not streaming 4K movies in the restaurant. Well, he wasn't either, though. No. So, but uh, tell me about the, the Jeep guy. He's got like an RV version here. And now they've got uh, the authorization Starlink has to have this thing moving. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And but he's not going to be driving with that thing. Well, I mean, if I know my friend Ron. Yeah. Shout out to Ron, friend of the show. Um, he probably will. So. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I mean, it, it's... When you think of it this way, the barrier between us and high-speed internet has always depended on our, cel- our cellular networks. Yeah. And that's what my, my parents are dependent on right now. Yeah. Um, they were using a uh, microwave system, but that was line of sight. Uh, looking at this now, even when you're going down the Coquihalla here in BC, there are times when your internet drops out. You have nothing. Yeah. And it's terrible. Like, I mean, one of two things can happen. You could get into an accident and need help, or you could be in the middle of a just raging solo on Spotify and suddenly you've got no support. And that is heartbreaking. Well, then you have Sirius XFM, right? Right. Satellite again. Um, but okay. So the moving version, Jeep guy, Ron, sorry. Um, how does he power that thing? So this is actually one of the interesting things that we're talking about now because you can power it off of the battery from your vehicle. You can power it off of a like a Jackery or other solar battery supply. Uh, but we're also looking at creating enough solar to power some of these things that we're going to be using while we're down there. And, you know, things like... Sorry, solar is powering this thing? Yeah. Yeah? That's pretty good. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at it right now and things like the air conditioner or the fridge probably won't be on solar, but we're going to do our best to see if we can make that happen. That's awesome. Um, but again, the price is kind of up there. It's not prohibitively expensive, especially if you do need high speed and you can't get it. But, but your guy with the property on the lake, can't he get connectivity there? Not good stuff. No? No. And so, I mean, when you're taking a look at some of these properties, they, they really not, they haven't even gone to the last mile. Yeah. Right? They're, you know, they're still laying uh, a twisted pair of copper all the way down there. There's no fiber that's coming. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it would be prohibitively expensive to do that. I think, you know, Rogers, Telus, Bell were kind of hoping that 5G would be the thing. You put those towers in and then hopefully people could use those to, to get access. But given the, the rate that we pay for our data, um, that would never actually be a practical solution as we step forward into a more fully connected future. I wonder if there's a future, like, could Elon Musk ever deliver cellular service with it? I know Dish Network is looking to do that. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to like the Motorola Iridium. We've had satellite phones for years. Yeah. And really, like, a phone call is just a data stream now. Yeah. So absolutely, like, could he have a phone and telecommunications service? He certainly could. Well, do I want him to? No. Why? You know, <laughs> wasn't that the plot line of like King uh, Kingsman? Kingsman, yep. <laughs> and I believe um, see, he's an evil genius now. Is that what you're saying? Or never dies? Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 But wouldn't that be good though, just to shake things up? Do you, you know, know what I mean? Like just to throw some competition into that. Again, see the plot line of Kingsman. We're, yeah. we're so desperate for competition here in Canada that we would hand it to a Bond villain. Yes. In order to get better cell phone rates. You know, I'm kind of with you on this one. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we're talking all about Starlink. Uh, they have satellite internet service. I remember years ago, uh, you know, my former uh, co-host and, and business partner, Dave Chalk, uh, we used to film our show out on his farm out in Abbotsford, you know, Mount Lehman area. And no, there was no service there. He either had dial-up 
uh, or he he got some satellite internet service, but it wasn't great. Like you have, I I think you had to still have some sort of dial up yeah. to make the connection, and then the satellite would download whatever your request was. Yeah, it was at the time. It was a telephone uplink, satellite downlink. It was painful. Yeah, yeah. It was very painful and expensive as hell. Carrier pigeons are faster. Yeah, but I mean the technology's been there for years. Yeah. And I mean, looking at this, it's just someone deciding that this, that there is a market there. There's a gap there. Elon yeah. looked at it and said, yes, there is. And I think for you know folks who do live in more rural areas, this is a godsend. Somebody's finally listening. Yeah. Because like I said, I have called every year since 2006 and heard, don't worry, high speed's only two years away. Old hockey. They're in some sort of time loop. It, uh, it sounds like, well, uh, we'll keep uh, our eye on that story and just see how well that progresses. I, I, I say, you know, welcome the, the competition there. It would be great if they got into some cell service as well, just to kind of mix it up. And wouldn't that just be a safety thing? Nice to have like a satellite phone, like that's reasonably priced. That was a problem with the first satellite phones and still they're stupid expensive. Yeah. Right. My, my parents did just get rid of their landline, which made me panic because the cell service is also not good there. So their Starlink is on the way. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, are you worried that people are trying to hack into your iPhone, spy on you? Well, there's a new feature coming out that will protect you. You're listening to The App Show here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. I guess the main computing device all of us use now would not be just a laptop or desktop computer. It's your smartphone. It's just as powerful if not more powerful than a lot of the laptops that we're using and they basically give us access to everything any type of uh, information we want to know there are navigation tools there are camera uh there are there are game boy and i mean there's hundreds of other uses for it uh, as well uh, but with all that great power also comes the uh i guess the people trying to hack into them to spy on you to get information yeah, from you. whether it's to relieve you of your credit card number or to relieve you of some important information that you might be keeping on your device. Um, it's interesting. Apple has sort of tried to lead the charge in the privacy space and trying to prove that they don't have any kind of financial motivation for tracking you, you know, from a shopping perspective and, and that type of thing. And they have just an, uh, unveiled a new feature for iOS 16, but also for macOS Ventura and iPadOS 16. It's called lockdown mode. Okay. And, and so this is basically meant to uh, extremely lock down your devices so that you can't get hacked. One of the simplest ways to get hacked is you open up an email that has something attached to it that is sort of like the gateway into your system, into your network, into whatever. So what this system does when you enable it, it essentially turns off all your link previews. It turns uh, your web browsing history and all that stuff off. It blocks invitation and FaceTime calls uh, completely from unknown sources. It locks down any wired connections to computers or accessories while your device is locked. So if someone can't just go up to your laptop and stick in a thumb drive and get in that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is this for the average person? I'm guessing. I don't, I don't feel that vulnerable through my iPhone. But. No, but maybe when you're traveling, you might. You might want to lock some stuff down because you just never know yeah. who's going to be around you. Um, and so these types of things are uh, enabled once you click a button. And you actually have to reboot your device for it to actually take effect. 
how usable is it after that? Well, that's like, you know what I mean? Like when they have all these high security features, I find you can't do a lot of stuff easily. Yeah. Well, do you, do you remember when, um, uh, Barack Obama was the president of the United States? Yeah. He really wanted to use his Blackberry. Yeah. And, or no, he really wanted to use his, his iPhone. iPhone. Yeah. But the secret service made him use the Blackberry because it was more secure yeah. at the time. And, uh, and so this is really meant for people of high import. Yeah. Uh, activists, politicians, journalists, those types of people that really need to know that they're not being tracked or watched. But I think there's also some uh, interesting things where the average person might want to turn on some of these features. And it's uh, it's a little too soon to see if Apple's going to make some of these things optional. Like, give me less extreme lockdown mode. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, block my internet stuff. Make sure I can't get infected with malware or any kind of backdoors type stuff. Well, I kind of, I kind of thought they'd be protecting me against that already. They, they are for, yeah. for sure. Um, but it just sounds like this is like the next level, especially if you're using maybe not Apple's default apps for like your mail and other things like that. Right? Or browse. Yeah. Maybe well, you're using Chrome browser or some other funky yeah. third party browser. Yeah. yeah I certainly can see all the native Apple stuff yeah. has a lot of these protections built in, but you know, if you're that paranoid about that stuff, you probably wouldn't be using a lot of these third-party <laughs> apps. Well, it depends. I think it really depends on what your what your mission yeah. is and what yeah. you're doing, right? So, is this something that interests you? Um, well, I'm going to check it out once it's yeah. once it's available to me, just to see how limited it actually is. Yeah. Um, and also because this is just like the first iteration of it, I suspect that Apple will probably listen to some feedback and maybe give you some options to open up some of those doors. But it, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you get a new router at home, internet yeah. router, you want to block all the firewalls, you want to close all the ports, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But then you start realizing, oh, well, I can't play my favorite game cause I need this port open or I can't do this FTP cause I need that port open. So you, you need some flexibility to open some of those doors and windows. Yeah. And so it's just, it's unclear at this stage where Apple is going to be with this uh, and how much uh, control the end user is going to actually have for it. It's funny you talked about routers there. I just, I think back to the first days of Wi-Fi, you know, remember when the first Wi-Fi routers were coming out? They weren't even locked down with passwords. Yeah. There was just like no security. I remember there was a thing called war driving. If you needed to find an internet Wi-Fi connection. You just drive around your car in a neighborhood until you find yeah. an open Wi-Fi connection. I did that a few times when I was traveling uh, over in the UK. Like I was working and I needed to get an internet connection. So I just drove around this neighborhood and it, I didn't even drive that far. Like no, like two minutes and I had a, a Wi-Fi connection. The average person probably doesn't even change those passwords anyways, if there's even a password associated with their routers. Well, back in the day, there wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, those things are locked down tighter than anything because they know how yeah. easy it is for these hackers to get in, but you know, crazy time. So you're, you're going to be trying it out, but this feature isn't available for Apple users till the fall. Right. It'll be available in the public beta that'll be available uh, probably later this month. Yeah. I'm not sure of the exact timing of Apple's public betas, but um yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to look at. And I know some people are paranoid about their, their devices, listening to them, watching, hearing them all that all the time, right? So yeah. this would sort of maybe be a mode you could turn on when you're in a private meeting or something else. Yeah. Is that what you're going to do when you're meeting with me now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'll record those. I meetings. wouldn't know how to break in your phone if my life depended on it. So just... <laughs> Just letting you know. But I guess that's what I would say if I was a hacker trying to get into your... You, you got to play dumb. Yeah. I know. Okay. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. 
You are back with The App Show. Mike and John here. we got Gray in studio with us uh, today. I'm going to talk about presentation software now. And I know for some people that's kind of a boring subject. You know, you think PowerPoint slides, which, you know, have sucked the life out of me over the years. But we live in a different world now, Gray. Uh, we're working from home. We're doing a lot of video calls. And I mean, we have to present stuff, right? So PowerPoint is one way to do it. Uh, there is also Keynote, which is kind of the Apple version or the Google version. I don't know what the Google calls it. Is it Google Slides? Google or? Slides, yeah. Uh, but you use a program called Mm-hmm. I do. How do you, like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. This is actually part of the fun of this thing. I think everyone pronounces it just a little bit differently. Yeah. And I think it started as a bit of a joke. Yeah. Which was, you know, we were all kind of at the beginning of this thing that shall not be named. We were all kind of sitting at home going, okay, we're on these meetings. And how do we, you know, get our point across a little bit better? Uh, and so uh, there was an agency down uh, in the States who came up with this product idea of, mm-hmm. And it essentially takes your PowerPoints or your keynotes or your Google Slides. It will take your PDFs, it'll take videos, uh, multiple cameras in your computer and integrate them in such a way that you can use a green screen or not. You're kind of like your own TV station. Yeah. Yeah. And doing kind of that live editing and live calling, it's incredibly easy to use. Um, You can actually pre-record things. And you know, I've done a couple of presentations where I have pre-recorded the entire thing Wearing the outfit that I'm going to wear the day that I have to do the presentation. Yeah. Get on the call, wearing that outfit, do the opening, hit the button to play the presentation. It's seamless, it's flawless because I've got all the perfect So, so you've got the opening and whatever else part you want to be interactive, right? Because it's like a Zoom call exactly. that you're doing. Um, and they don't know that you're pre-recorded. And here's the thing. I'm sitting there, so if they actually need, to, need me to interject, I can actually sort of fade that out while I fade myself in. You can't tell. Yeah. And then go back. So, sorry, how is it working? Are you on Zoom? So you can actually, they've got an application that you can use with Zoom. You can use it with Teams. Um, You can use it with with Google Meet. Yeah. And so it basically just acts as a virtual camera. So it's your little face or half body. Yep. And you've got the presentation behind you. And you can you can actually just have yourself. Yeah. um, Or you can have the presentation over your shoulder. Or the presentation can be the full screen. Uh, They've also got a ton of different uh, rooms that you can choose from. Um, so our friends over at Rim Raider would be fairly pleased. Uh, you can look like you are, uh, you know, a transmission from uh, Star Trek or yeah. Star Wars. Um, you can look like you're on the moon. You can look like you are at the beach. Um, Do they have some professional ones as they've well? They've got some really good ones. In yeah. There. Okay. The beach isn't professional. No. I should have taken that call from the beach yesterday. No. No. <laughs> Everyone hates you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I had a good time, and I've got burned, so it's fine. But. Um, Like, it's actually a a really great piece of software for integrating all of these things together. And the cool thing is, they've actually just released a web version. Okay. And so this means you don't have to have Teams, you don't have to have uh, Zoom or Google Meet or anything else like that. You can actually have uh, a bunch of different people collaborating on the same presentation. Um, It's a really neat evolution of how they've been uh, bringing the software to market. So this is like Zoom meets PowerPoint. Yeah. And sprinkle in some fun yeah yeah and but so like ease of use like i don't have time to learn new stuff it's pretty simple yeah so basically when you start the software up you'll see your camera there you can import your presentation it'll import all of the slides as separate scenes okay and then you can essentially say what you want it to look like there's a button there do you want it to just be you do you want it to be slide over your shoulder full screen slide. Um, If you've got a trackpad in front of you, two fingers up will fade you into the shot, two fingers down will fade you out of the shot. Easy peasy. 
Um, there's a great set of tutorials. I've actually got learning videos built into the app, um, which believe it or not, were made with mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what platforms is mm -hmm available on? So currently right now it's available for Windows and for Mac. Yeah. Um, and it's great on both. I've tried it on both. Yeah. Um, and again, now it's on the web, so you can use it with your uh, mobile devices as well. And how much does it cost? There is a charge per year. Um, I believe, I want to say it was somewhere around 80 or 90 bucks. Okay. Um, Reasonable. Yes. Yeah. They, I, got, I got my first year free because I teach with BrainStation, so they were giving uh, students and teachers a free year. Um, when my subscription lapsed, I paid for it right away. It's it's an essential piece of my uh, presentation kit now. Mm -hmm. mm hmm. Is the name of it kind of blends Zoom and PowerPoint together and makes maybe your presentation interesting? Yeah. Yes. And you can find it by searching for MMHMM, and I believe it's mm -hmm app. Very cool. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. More tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and John here. Uh, Firefox, uh, third most popular browser. It's up there. Up there in the top five. Yes. Yes. Uh, a lot of people still use it. Uh, they've got a cool new feature that uh, allows you to automatically remove tracking from URLs. Yeah, so tracking is the thing that uh, various websites use to track you across the internet. Yes. Uh, when cookies aren't allowed or are blocked, uh, it's a little bit of code that's sort of in the URL. So like facebook.com slash and then a whole bunch of random numbers and letters. Yeah. That's a tracking URL. It takes you to Facebook, but it gives somebody that information of where you came from yeah. and where you're going to. And who wants that information? Advertisers? Advertisers. Yeah. Um, Bond villains. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so now, basically, what Firefox, with their latest release, they has a new feature that will prevent these sites from using that. It'll actually strip that part off. So they won't get that information. And, and essentially, this is what Apple has done with the Safari browser in protecting you from tracking URLs and that type of thing. But Firefox literally just strips that garbage off of the URL. Now, what I'm not sure about, because I haven't tried it myself yet, is how aggressive is it stripping things off? Because sometimes some websites use what looks like garbly gook to get you to a certain point in the site. Yeah. Like a deep link. Yeah. So, uh, but it sounds like there's uh, there's some uh, commonalities and some patterns that Firefox is looking for, and you can even adjust the level of... Uh, uh, of stripping? <laughs> enhanced tracking protection. Yeah. So they, they basically have a strict mode, and then they have like a, a less strict mode, so... Another story we're uh, following uh, is coming out of Google. Uh, looks like they have uh, come up with a $90 million antitrust settlement. Uh, so basically, Google uh, has offered to pay out $90 million to smaller app developers to uh, settle a class action lawsuit that uh, basically uh, alleged that the company's store policies violated federal antitrust laws. This is coming from a, a Verge article. Uh, the suit claimed that Google maintained policies that forced developers to use its Google Play billing system. And so for the listeners out there, um, typically develop developers, and I think this goes for the uh, Apple App Store as well, they have to pay a default 30% charge on all of their transactions. Uh, Google back last year made a concession to the smaller guys and uh, cut their fees to 15% for the first 
million dollars earned through uh, any app that uh, they had developed. Uh, a law firm representing the uh, a bunch of these developers in this class action suit. Uh, I think that's like almost forty eight thousand small app developers in the U.S. Uh, will apparently be able to get payments from this ninety million dollar fund. Uh, so these developers could get anywhere as much as uh, $200,000. Uh, and the minimum payment is around $250. It's interesting, right? Because uh, these two big ecosystems, uh, Google and, and probably even more so Apple, uh, they basically control the whole app ecosystem. And, you know, it's, it's I guess, good and bad for the app developers. Uh, on one hand, uh, these two guys, or these two big companies, sorry, have created ecosystems that make it easy for consumers like us to purchase apps, uh, like kind of a one-stop shop. And that, uh, I mean, if you look at it, uh, since you know the iPhone came out and created the whole App Store e- ecosystem, I mean, billions and billions of dollars have been uh, made, not only for Apple, but of course, all the developers uh, as well. Uh, whereas in the past, uh, if you remember the old, old days, you know, with the Windows and, and Mac operating systems, um, you know, it wasn't as easy to to get programs. And there was like a lot of piracy uh, as well. So um, we're seeing more and more of this, uh, more lawsuits, uh, you know, going up against Apple and Google, uh, you know, Epic Games, uh, you know, has been going after Apple because they don't want to have to pay for any transaction fees going through their game. Uh, Fortnite is one of their most popular games, and they actually give the game away free, and they make all their money on all the little uh, outfits and and skins you can get for the character uh, that you play uh, in there. So uh, they say that it's uh, Monopoly, and, um, you know, they don't want to have to give that big of a cut. Uh, to the apples uh, of of the world. So this is kind of an interesting um, um, offer from Google. $90 million is kind of a drop in the bucket in the big scheme of things, really, when you think that they make, you know, literally billions and and billions of uh, dollars. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next five years if uh, some of these uh, lawsuits uh, do eventually take hold and, uh, you know, Apple and, and Google have to open up their ecosystems more to other third-party billing systems. New feature in Firefox. Check it out. want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together. Of course, John. I want to thank Gray for joining us today and uh, Robin back at the studio. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. See you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.